Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24 say this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which renews the spirit of our minds. Help us to understand your word this morning, and to be affected by it, and to be changed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do you remember how Paul begins this half of his letter? Now, if, if you remember, this letter written to the Ephesians is split into two halves. Pretty much right down the middle. The first half, chapters 1 through 3, is Paul explaining how the gospel saves us. Chapters 4 through 6 is how the gospel rearranges us. So look at the beginning of chapter 4. How does Paul start this half of the letter for us? He starts it with sort of a, a rally call, a, a call to action. What is this rally call? He says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So what Paul is going to be doing in chapter 4, 5, and 6 is explaining what this walking worthy looks like. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to be a bit impatient. Once I, I told Sharice that I just really don't like being a millennial. And she asked me, well, why is that? And so I thought I would give her a very profound and insightful answer. Because millennials have always had Amazon at their fingertips. We've always had fast food. The world has trained us to be impatient. And without missing a beat, my loving and kind wife so compassionately told me, said, Max, I don't think that's a millennial thing. I think that's a you thing. The impatient person likes to look for shortcuts. The fastest routes to their destination. The closest self check out line. We put down the instructions 
to the IKEA furniture with the 50,000 pieces that it comes with just for the table to come out wobbly. We look on YouTube for the fastest way to lose weight just to be discouraged that we aren't shredded after 30 days. We want to learn a musical instrument and after a week we say this workload is too much and I can't play the guitar like Jimi Hendrix does and so we stop. Did you know that Christians are tempted in the same way? Tempted to take shortcuts, impatient, And we do this with the gospel. We remember the the power of the gospel. We prize the gospel. And then we become impatient with the gospel. We recognize and understand that the gospel has brought spiritual life into our dry bones. And then we get impatient with the sanctification process of the gospel. We get impatient with the change in our lives. And so what happens? We look for shortcuts. We look for the fastest routes. We look for the self-checkout line. Instead of relying on the changing power of the Spirit, we are tempted to look for these shortcuts. where we are called to experience change through God's Word, God's community, empowered by God's Spirit, we get impatient. We get impatient by looking for momentary quick fixes that make the Christians look no different than a non-Christian. You see, Paul knew this was a real temptation for the church. And because of that, he calls the church to walk in newness of life, not the old one. Or let me say it like this for us this morning. Christians are called to walk in the new life, not the old life. And we see this so very clearly this morning in our text. Paul tells his readers, he's telling us this morning, don't walk like this. Instead, put off the old self and walk in the newness of life that you've received. Let's look at the start of this section of Scripture. Paul starts this section um, by being pretty straightforward for us. He doesn't mince words. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, if you remember, as Paul is writing this letter, he's writing to a mixed congregation of Jews and Gentiles. And the Gentiles in Ephesus would have lived a certain way. They would have functioned a certain way. They would have been influenced and shaped by their culture. You know, a lot like what shapes our culture shaped the church in Ephesus. The emphasis on economics and politics and religion shaped the city. 
And like a fish swimming in water, a fish doesn't know that it's swimming in water until it's out of the water. We hardly ever see what shapes us until we are out of the water. And as these Gentiles have now found themselves out of the culture that has shaped them and in the kingdom of God, Paul is commanding them to no longer walk like they used to walk. They are no longer to walk like the non-Christian. They are to walk as citizens of God's kingdom. The Gentile Christians have received new life, and there is a massive difference, if you don't know this, between those who are influenced and shaped by the culture of the day and now those who have been filled with the love of God. Paul tells his readers how non-Christians or uh, how non-Christians walk in the futility of their minds. Or what Paul is trying to draw from is the vanity of their minds. He's calling back to uh, Ecclesiastes. Or, to kind of simplify it a little bit more for us, the non-Christian walks in a way that is worthless thinking. What this is teaching us is that Paul, he's not primarily looking at the external actions of a person. He's not looking at the outward actions of a person. Instead, Paul is looking at what a person is meditating on and thinking about. What your mind is captivated by is what your heart desires. And what Paul is saying is that what the Gentiles worship are worthless things. What they are thinking about are worthless things. It's fool's gold. It's glittered that's been spread over the place. It's flashy LED lights. And so Paul says that non-Christians think about worthless things because of three realities. Three truths of why non-Christians think about worthless things. The first reality is that they are darkened in their understanding. What this tells us is that the non-Christian's mind is not set on the things of God. They think about worthless things because their mind is not set on the thing of God. It is unable to understand the things of God. Just as a, a two-year-old does not understand and is not thinking about advanced calculus, so the non-Christian is not thinking nor can understand the things of God. That is the first reality. Is that their minds are darkened to the things of God. The second reality is that they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So not only are non-Christians darkened in the mind, not thinking about the things of God, but their heart is hard to the things of God. What this is teaching us is that the non-Christian doesn't see the things of God because they deliberately turn their face from God. 
They have no emotion or affection that draws them to God because their heart is cold, it is hard to God. The pride in their heart keeps them from turning to God and having affection for God. Why does a husband not stop to ask for directions when his kind wife asks for him to stop for directions? Because of the stubborn pride that is so great in the husband's heart. The third reality is that they have become callous and given themselves up to the sensuality Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Here this tells us where the darkness and the hardness come from. We are taught here that over time, as we sin, our hearts become calloused to the things of God. Nice. As a weightlifter is lifting weights, and as their hands blister over time, it starts to form hard calluses, so that way the hands can go through the rigorousness of the workout. Let me say it like this for us, maybe in this way. Calluses don't start by jumping into addiction. Calluses on the heart start by little sins. Calluses on the heart start with being all right with a person gossiping about another person in this family. And then it continues on by than gossiping yourself. Big sins don't always callous our hearts. It's a lot of little sins over time that callous our hearts. Let me explain it like this, maybe. I remember as I was a youth leader, we had something at our church going on called Disciple Now. So weekend retreat for kids, and the main speaker spoke about it like this. He said, hardly does anybody wake up the next day saying, I'm just going to be an addict. It's kind of like a person waking up and saying, I'm going to be an hour late. Nobody wakes up the next morning and says, I'm going to be an hour late for an event. There are five-minute decisions that end up making you an hour late. Just like there are five-minute actions that lead you to addiction. The calloused heart pursues what we think to be the little or minor sins in this world. What Paul is saying to his readers and what he's saying to us is this, as the non-Christian gives themselves to their sin, their hearts become hard and their minds become dark. Christian. This is to teach us that if we walk according to the non-Christian way, 
and give into any kind of sin, our hearts will become calloused. And as they become calloused, they become hard. And as they become hard, it leads to a darkened mind where we do not think about nor worship God. So before we move on, let me ask this question, how do you walk? Do you find little sins acceptable in your life? Do you find the little sins that the world says are acceptable, acceptable in your life? This is the way the non-Christian walks, and it is so, so sad. This lifestyle is is no better thought of than the blind leading the blind off a cliff into misery. Why is this? Because sin fools the darkened soul and it leads the soul to God's wrath. The dark mind and the hard heart are completely oblivious to the forgiveness and love that God offers. Please consider this question. Are you walking as a non-Christian? Are you here this morning with us, not a Christian? Is your heart calloused, hard and dark to the beauty of God's love and forgiveness? You see, the calloused, hard, dark heart is cold to God. It is living in a perpetual Wisconsin February weather. Always dark. Always hard. Always freezing over the next day. It wants nothing to do with worshiping God. It has no affection for God and way, way too much affection for sin. But let's just for a moment consider what happens in Wisconsin's springtime. The rays of the sun start to come out. And the rays of the sun start to melt the hard, cold chunks of ice. And the rays of the sun start to thaw out the frozen ground and it starts producing beautiful flowers and leaves and life. Likewise, the rays of God's love melt our cold hearts. The rays of God's love bring warmth to our souls and cause us to worship Him. Do you realize and believe that Christ came to earth to free you from that dark, hard, calloused winter that is always beating you up? He came to free you by being a sacrifice. He died in your place, facing the full wrath of God and defeated sin and death. 
And when we trust in Him, when we trust in Christ, winter ends. Our sins are forgiven. Our hearts are thawed out and new affections burst forth for Jesus. This is exactly why Paul calls them to not mimic the world. Because of their Lord and Savior. He says that this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. This right here, Paul is saying to us to teach us that a born-again Christian has affections for Jesus, has love for Jesus. And how is this shown? Because the one who has affections and love for Jesus obeys Jesus. Born again people, people who have been converted and have experienced the newness of life, obey Christ. They do so by picking up their cross and following Christ. This is why Paul continues on and says, put off your old self which belongs to the former manner of your life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Paul knows the Christian very well. He knows the Christian well. He knows that they are a new creation, that they're born again, that they have experienced new life, but he also knows that the old manner of life, the corrupted old fleshly person is scratching and clawing to get out of the grave that it was put into. This old self is scratching and clawing to tell you that the world can give you the love and peace that your heart longed for, but that is not the case. This world is unstable and plagued with anxiety and worry and fear, but Christ is stable and full of peace and love. Maybe your heart is starting to soften and you are starting to see how you've been looking for shortcuts or the self-checkout line for a changed life. Maybe you're starting to notice how you've become impatient and you've started running towards the world's ways or sinful ways to see change. Maybe you're starting to realize that you've looked for money for stability rather than Christ for stability. Maybe you're starting to realize that you're looking at your vacations for rest instead of Christ for rest. Maybe you're starting to understand or see that you have been looking to others for your approval instead of knowing that you have God's approval. Believe in this truth, please. And let it sink deep into the roots of your heart and let it nourish your soul. The mercy and grace of Christ is more than our sinful hearts. Turn back to this truth. Turn back to God and He will receive you with arms open wide. As we take this old self off, Paul, he gives the church two ways to live. First, he says, we live by being renewed in the spirit of your minds. What this means for us is that we should be meditating on God. We are to be a people who live and breathe 
and think about God and his ways. What is the first thing and the last thing you think about? What is the first thing that you do when you wake up and the last thing you do when you wake up? Is the first thing you do is to roll over on your side, put in your six-digit code on your phone or whatever it may be. Maybe you go into the living room and turn on the TV. Is the first thing you do and the last thing you do to check your social media? When you wake up in the morning, are you looking at the stock market? Are you immediately being drawn into what this person is saying about that political thing or what that person is saying about this political thing? What is the first thing and the last thing that you are renewing your mind with? Throughout the day, what are you renewing your mind with? If you have the junk of the world in your mind, how do you get it out? You get it out by renewing your mind, by meditating on God. This is why the psalmist so many times says, I meditate on God day and night. What this means is that we must pick up our Bibles and read it and meditate on God. So here's a challenge. It's a new month. Read the book of Ephesians every single day. I'm a painstakingly slow reader. It takes me about 30 minutes. It will probably take you about 10 minutes. Every day, read it. And then finish asking, Lord, what are you wanting me to meditate on today? Here's another thing. Turn off the radio in your car and pray to God. Are you a person who is renewing the spirit of your mind? If so, let me rephrase that. It's not, are you a person? You are renewing your mind somehow with something. It's either the things of God or not. The second way we live that Paul says is that we are to put on the new self. Simply what Paul is trying to teach us is that Christians are called to live out what they read. So how are you living out what you are reading? Is your meditation on God leading you to worship God by obeying God? Head knowledge does not prove a person is a Christian any more than me knowing medical things proves me to be a doctor. Putting on the new self means obedience. Our works do not save us. It is by faith alone through grace alone, but our works do prove that we are new creation, that we are new creatures, that we have been born again. And we know this, how Paul finishes this section. He says, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Is this not what Paul says at the beginning of this letter? That before the foundation of the world, he predestined you to walk blameless and holy. Walking in newness of life means we are growing to look more 
like Christ, it means that we are growing to be built up with one another. So what does this mean for us then? It means that Christians are to act like Christians. It means that we are to walk in the newness of life, not the old life. And so we must be committed to think and meditate about God. And then from the overflow of our hearts, live out what we have thought about and meditated on. What does your life look like? Do you keep going back to your old way of living, looking for shortcuts and the fastest route? Thinking that the world's way will bring a quicker peace and stability? If this is you, it is because you are thinking more about sin than God. Or has the magnificent beauty of Christ so captured your heart that you can't help but walk in the newness of life? You can't help but think about what Christ has done for you. You can't help but let that influence your decisions and your thoughts. You can't help but obey if it is, it's because you are thinking about our great and powerful God. Born-again believers walk in the newness of life they have been given. Those who have experienced the love of God and have had the love of God poured into their hearts, they walk in the newness of life. And so church, let us press on, even through life's temptations, to walk in this glorious new life that we have been given. Let's pray. Oh Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus so that we could have newness of life would you help us, by the power of your Spirit, to walk in this new life? To walk as your children, as citizens of your kingdom, as members of your family. Amen.